Hey there, welcome back to the Unschool Files podcast, my friend. I'm your host, Megan, and you are listening to episode 33. I can't tell you how excited I am to share this conversation. I was able to get some really special time with Nikolai Pissarro, an author, an unschooling mother, and parenting guide in the Atlanta area who is dedicated to the liberation movement. She specifically works with families on the concept of decentering school, even if they don't stop attending, to center relationship, connection. Yes. I don't even think I need to say any more in this intro, so I'm just going to drop you right into this conversation. Welcome, Nikolai. I am so, so glad to have you. It took us a little bit to get here, but we're here. I'm so grateful. Yes, I'm excited too. That's We know it's going to be a good interview when we have to start it over four times. <laughs> And we have to get a young person involved to help us. Um, yeah, that's going to make it spicy. <laughs> that's important. Yeah. All right. Let's get started by maybe telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and your relationship to unschooling. Absolutely. Well, I'm currently in the Atlanta metro area and I come here via Puerto Rico and St. Louis. So those are two strong connections. And then I came into unschooling because my son, who is now an eighth grader, I guess, um, went into kindergarten and really experienced terrible trauma as a kindergartner. Um, he went into public school reading. He went in there writing um, at like a second grade level, doing math um, at a second grade level. And he had developed dysgraphia which through trauma and he would not even pick up a pencil, Mm. um, had terrible anxiety. It was just a real toxic experience for him in school. So once we left, um, we left the school system, really his teacher was like, (laughs) we've lost him. Um, Once we left, his therapist said, you know what? I don't think you need to do anything with him for a while. We know that he was reading a second grade level. We know that he was great at math. We know all of those things are already there. And I think he just really needs to just hang out. Yeah. And um, I didn't know what unschooling was or what de-schooling was. But at that point, we were unschooling and de-schooling. And we did that. <laughs> so we did that for about a year. And then one day the, the child goes to Costco and picks up a Captain Underpants book and starts reading and never stops and so I was like how does that even happen and that's really how I found out that unschooling was a thing and that children all over the world were learning this way and at that point we decided we would never go back to conventional schooling or directed learning it was really interesting because just today I think I read a book with my daughter was like a girl with really big, big questions, something along those lines, but um, where there was a young girl that asked a lot of questions in school. And there's one page in the book where it says everyone in the classroom just said, please stop. And that was my son every single day. And the teacher would write me these notes. It's just, and she would tell us she was a first time teacher and she would tell me, you know, I just don't know what to do with him. And I, and I'm, she's, she's like, I 
if I'm honest, Miss Bizarro, like I am like I put him in consequence all the time mm-hmm. and then I go home and I think about it and I and I tell myself what did you do that like he's brilliant I think about the questions that he's just asked during the day and I feel like he has more working knowledge than probably all of the three kindergartens put together but I don't know how to handle that and mm-hmm. in the moment I just like tell him to go away and that's she's like and she was honest she was like it's not just me that's the way that we do things in this school in this environment like we have a process and we just kind of isolate the child or whatever she's like we really don't know what to do with him but he has so many questions all day long and then he's just isolated and then he just feels bad um about things and then then kids make fun of him and she's like and then he just snowballs and then he's acting out because kids are making fun of him mm. and it's cyclical yeah very cyclical for a long time with the writing it took her a while to realize um so it was kindergarten they would have like this morning work and they would give them these sheets of paper where they would um have like a half of it was in blank for them to draw a picture in the top. I, you might be familiar with these papers mm-hmm. and then the bottom line so that they can write out their mm-hmm. narratives. And most of the children were writing very simple sentences. Mm-hmm. And so the second piece of the morning work would be that they would have all of these words on the wall and the children would go to the wall and they would correct their own sentences. Um, But my son was writing such complex words and using complex vocabulary and like his narratives were just different, right? Richer. Mm -hmm. And none of the words would ever be on the wall so he can he would not be able to complete his work because he did not have a spelling framework he was Mm. only five and because none of the words were ever on the wall so he couldn't correct it and then it would just come across like he wasn't doing the second piece of the work every day Mm. and um, she would mark put a mark as incomplete every single morning and then in that classroom if they did not complete their morning work with the corrections then they couldn't sit in the carpet to do story time and he internalized it like this really nice teacher that you're dropping me off at is really saddened by my work disapproves of my work and no matter how great or how much effort I put into my narratives of morning work, I don't get to sit on the carpet. And now all of my friends and my peers make fun of me because I never sit in the carpet. And it took them three months to figure out why he would never finish the work. And it's mm. because none of his works were on the wall. But by then, he said that he forgot how to write. Mm. And he would not write his name. He would, he would just scribble. And it took, it took him like a good year and a half before he wrote again. So how long did he stay in school? 
he stayed in school just from the fall to the winter break okay yeah yeah Mm. we didn't we didn't stay there long at all and she texted me right before we were we were going and I kept telling everybody that's the other thing Megan I kept telling everyone I don't think it's a fit and because he had never been to preschool and because he went in knowing so many things everyone just said it's because he didn't go to preschool and he's adjusting to the social component Mm. um and so I just you know we just gutted it out and one day right before after Thanksgiving break she texted me and she said, I don't, I, I want to meet you outside of school hours. And we met on a Friday night and she was just like, I, I don't think we have, I, I, I'm, we're losing him. And I don't think I don't have the capabilities and I don't think the school has the capabilities to create an environment for your child. And I know that they keep telling you that he's going to adjust. And she was like, I just feel like we have completely lost him. Wow. And that was, um, yeah. And she was just like, they're going to put him in an IP route. They, at this point, feel like he knows his material and he's just not working. They're seeing it as mm-hmm. behavioral. Defiance. And- yeah. yeah. And she's like, I don't, I don't think this is a safe, safe space. And so I, you know, I withdrew and it really, I like to share with people that educational trauma really, particularly with very young children can lead to serious um, cognitive challenges and emotional blockages and mm-hmm. really hurt they're hurtful it's not just I know that a lot of people are just thinking that this is something that we just want to do and it's Mm -hmm. cool or whatever but it really is in defense of our children's absolutely uh, wellness their personhood their entire personhood absolutely Um, you spoke to so much around um safety or lack thereof and I think it's not just, you know, in the public education, it's, it's in all types of, um, of educational facilities, including those in, in SDE. Um, there's, there, there is room there for harm to be done when the community is not coming together to meet the needs of the people who are there. And the school's not designed to do that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, here's the thing that there has to be a cultural shift and it's not just, yeah, it's in the SDD community, SDD, SDE community, as well as in our homes. Um, I remember, so we, so we, um, two things that I want to share. We did go to a SDE community school to a school when he was in, I want to say fifth grade, and we were there for a very short time. It was interrupted by COVID, so it really we were we did not want to do a virtual school, yeah, um, and in kind of like a private school setting. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember that he used to say, "Well, it is kind of self-directed, but we have to complete certain projects." <laughs> He's mm. like, we have to complete certain projects and we can complete them whenever we want. 
but they still have to be completed by the end of the six weeks. And okay. if we don't, then we don't get a particular, I don't want to um, say what it is that they got, but um, I guess it was like, um, like a merit. Whatever their reward system is. <laughs> yeah, whatever the reward system is. If I say the reward, people would know. Yeah, people would know. What it is. But and he's like, so, and if we don't get a certain amount in a certain year, then we don't go to the next <laughs> grade. So it's so- still very, like, based on your um, linear success that they measure. Yeah. And so he's like, so it's not really self-directed. It's more like it's cool. More social awareness. And then you can do it in whatever order you want. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty much, you know, a lot of the times we still are driving, um, the child's education based on whatever it is that we think that they need to learn. Yeah. And, you know, there's that. (laughs) I mean, and that might be a vibe for some people, you know, to, to do project-based self-directedness. I don't know that it's, I don't know that that's entirely... I don't know that it's the greatest way to implement SDE. Okay, maybe I should back that up. Not that I don't think that it's a great way to implement it. I just think it might be a little deceiving because SDE or self-directed education in my lens looks like a place where someone goes to be an autonomous person. Um, But as I've been listening to other podcasts and hearing other people talk about SDE, there's you know, democratic schools that they've implemented, like in the Nordic countries that are, that still have very much like requirements and stuff. They just use a democratic process for decision-making. So like parts of it could be, you know, something, but maybe not the entire autonomous, you know? Yeah. I just, I do think, um, I do think it's a little bit deceiving in terms of that. I think that, you know, we do live in a kind of capitalist society. And one of the things that it's important is to keep your enrollment up. And I think Mm. that SDE feels um, trendy and attractive to a lot of people right now. And so from a business model, it's also, um, you know, more attractive to a lot of people for for something to be perceived as self-directed but project-based and self-directed are not the same thing to me Mm -mm. so I think that project-based is has a lot of merit it's just not self-directed right right yeah if if the project is directed then it's not self-directed it's right I don't know how um how we have gotten to that other than it just makes business sense Mm -hmm. so going to the harm part is that if you have a child who that's not their learning style it would still cause harm or or a kind of you know, discord between parents and expectations and a child in a lot of ways that replicates the dynamics inside of conventional schooling. Right. So that's where the harm is. It's not And then that you pay a nice big price too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so it's not just that um, 
so it's not just that for me it's not that I don't think it's valuable I just really believe in calling things what they are and then letting people make choices there are many things where my son he has a DHD and he he's like mom I actually need a little bit of structure in this and where he will say I need a schedule Mm -hmm. to get certain things done right and so it could be that a family a a child a parent you know whatever that unit is wants project-based and then at that point it is self-directed once um project-based wants a little bit of a structure I think that's totally um that's great but I do think it does a great disservice to the SDE community um for those two terms to be used interchangeably. Uh, Yeah, I would agree with that. I definitely would. And I think it's just important to make those distinctions because when things get really muddy, you know, like that, it just, it confuses people. And um, I don't know what the algorithm does when someone goes and, you know, searches up on the internet, unschooling. I don't know what the first few things are that pop up, but I'd venture to say that, um, they're probably not intersectional things <laughs> that yeah. come up. Um, and so it is misleading when you first dive into the unschooling community at whatever is on the top of the search page, I would imagine, you know, you're going to get um, one version of it. And then when you dig really deep down into it um, and kind of get over like into Aquila's corner of liberation work, I mean, that's yeah. a different, it's different. It's, we're doing something very different. Yeah. And intersectional unschooling than uh, than sort of that bourgeoisie unschooling. <laughs> Absolutely. And I also would love to talk about the work that you're doing decentering school that doesn't require unschooling per se. Yeah, I'm that really is excited. amazing. <laughs> I am really excited and I want to absolutely and I apologize for cutting you off. I um and I give all this credit to my son because he right in the middle of a pandemic right in the middle of the pandemic he was like you know mom I've been thinking but you work with homeschooling parents and people that want to leave school and you coach them or teach them or you know work on all this cool unschooling stuff he was like I get it it's good I love it but most of my friends are schooled. Most of my friends go to school and they don't get to have a relationship with learning. They don't get the positive parenting. They don't get the relationships with their children. He's like, all of this cool stuff that we do that you have in common with these other people doing really cool stuff with their unschooling homes, my friends don't get. Like they're burdened with curriculum. They're burdened with like authoritative parenting and they don't get the freedom and they don't get the agency. And, you know, all they worry about is grades. Yeah. And I just wonder, is there, that's all they're going to get? Is that all they're going to experience? He was like, I don't think you should be working with parents that are already experiencing this. I think you should talk to my friend's parents. (laughs) I love that. And so he's like, you're missing kind of like, you're missing the point. And I love that he, you know, is that deep level of empathy saying, 
listen, we need to go into the margin. Like, what is liberation if it's not accessible? I have chills on my arms. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is, like, emotional intelligence, like, through the roof. (laughs) Bananas. That's what I tell them. I was like, I always say your empathy and your emotional intelligence is your superpower. It really is, kid. And, and it just changed the perspective. Um, we were doing for schooling, nature-based schooling um, in a group um, that we would drive like 40 minutes to into the city. Um, again, just privilege. And he was like, again, in this pandemic, so it had paused. And he was just like, why don't we just have the kids from our neighborhood come into our backyard and we can just do forest schooling because they're never going to go to a forest school anyway. So they're not going. And that's how we ended up doing the project that we're doing in the backyard. He's just like, they never go on a trail. He was like, they don't leave the neighborhood. Why? There's a trail in in our actual subdivision. There's a, not even a trail. We were walking our dog and one day we can hear like water Mm -hmm. and he's just like, there's a body of water somewhere around here and it's an abandoned lot (laughs) and we just cross it. It's private property. We just go in it (laughs) and there's a whole creek in the neighborhood. And so we started just doing trails in our neighborhood and in our backyard and we started doing forest schooling with the kids in our backyard. I mean, in our neighborhood right in the middle of COVID with our masks, but just, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just the, the funniest, most surreal thing because <laughs> it really came from this like 12 year old kid that's like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the opportunity for my friends in my neighborhood to experience homeschool. I mean, for schooling, let's do it. Talk about and, a silver lining. <laughs> right? And then now it's like we can't unsee it. We can't unsee the fact that um, we can. There was a need, right? Yeah. And then all of these parents that now I started, you know, working on the decentering schooling framework, the more I thought about it, the more I realized, yes, one of the reasons that we come into unschooling and we come to this community is because we realize that the school system and the metrics are taking over they're encroaching on our privacy they're encroaching on our agency on our lives on our relationship and at such a great cost right we come into Mm -hmm. these realizations but parents that are in conventional schooling still and that they have to be there are experiencing all of these pain points And what we can do is really give them permission to assert, to understand that, and then just say, you know what, you don't have to do it. And I think for most of the parents, um, like people, I'll do webinars and people will just be crying because they'll just be like, you don't have to do it that's not the requirement the compulsory requirement is attendance your children have to go to school or if you're not going to do homeschooling so you have to go to school and you can't go to school outside of whatever school they assign you you know if you're if you're doing public school right that's kind of the the end all of the compulsory part 
you don't have to center their metrics in your home. Nope. Um, you just don't have to. And um, I've had parents say, you know what? We have to sign our children's tests and all of these, you know, made up things. And now that I have found my teachers and said, please do not put my child's percent on my um on their grades, on their work, and I'm not signing or whatever. They've stated whatever boundary there is. And what can the schools do? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, people will be like, well, what do I do if I my kid is getting three hours of homework and what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, don't do it. Mm, the, yeah. What are they gonna do? They gonna come home, like come to your house and like whoop you? Like what are, what is where's the fear, right? And so that takes us also to like reparenting and like revisiting our trauma and revisiting, you know, why, right? Getting to the source of why we are so afraid of what will happen if we assert ourselves. And a lot, a lot of times it's because we weren't given agency as children because our parents did not stand up for us because they did not know that they did, that they could opt out. And so there's a lot of reparenting that comes in, you know, into the whole mix, but mm-hmm. it is so liberating and it's so beautiful to set, to see a parent feel like I thought that I had to continue to uphold this because I could not homeschool. And now that I know that I don't have to, I can center myself. I can center my children I can center our connection. I can center our values, their needs, even though I'm not homeschooling. Right. Um, I think that is just incredibly powerful. And kudos to Nicholas for, you know, bringing it yes. to me, um, for birthing the idea. And um, it's been really transformative. It really has. It sounds like it has. And I also just think it would invite so many conversations with teachers and administration um, and I think done with tact can be good conversations now there might be one of the parents I'm sorry to cut you off but one of the parents (laughs) in my cohort is the assistant principal and I have a meeting in two weeks with the principal like they want to figure out how to share this with parents in a way that's still allowed within you know, within their means and how to train their other teachers because they feel like um, it's actually high school and they feel like we are really losing the children and they're not engaged and parents are really angry and we need to, we need to need to figure out a way to be able to communicate to teach to parents and communicate to um students that yes they have to come and yes what we're doing is important and yes we have these requirements by the state but this is not the only thing in the world that's important and you can have success in other ways like there's other conversations that need to happen right and that's you know that's straight assistant principal and a principal that where they're interested so we yeah. can have these conversations with um with teachers absolutely 
Absolutely. I think we can. Um, and I think it's going to take a coalition of humans to change a system. It's not going to be done by one section of a movement. A movement requires people of all types from inside the system, from outside the system to come together and to figure out a way, you know, to, to do things different. Um, and I know there's a couple of different schools of thought, you know, there's complete tear down abolition um, and replace it with something new. There's, you know, ideas of school reform, no matter how you look at it, there's going to be a transition period from A to B <laughs> in my view. And so in the transition period, those are the conversations that should be having. We should be talking about, um, you know, like with, with those high schoolers, I'm thinking them, them getting the opportunity to um, have downtime or more social time with each other in school. Like they're, they're, they could do things, especially for folks who are halfway through high school and have most of their credits, you know, can do things to alter their experience at a campus level. It doesn't have to be done school-wide for changes to happen, you know, and, and be implemented. They can happen little bits at a time. And, you know, I, one of the things that I tell parents all the time, almost daily, is that how you keep children safe is if they can trust you and they can trust your word. And if you can have some, if you can have connection, I tell people all the time, I, I went away to college when I was 16. And if I was in trouble, I would not think to call my mother. I just would not. My mother and my house and my family really upheld school in a way that superseded my humanity, for sure. I was not centered. Um, and so I always felt like I was just out in the world figuring life out on my own because I what mattered, what I felt mattered to my parents were was school and grades, right? Mm-hmm. And it is so beautiful if we can get parents in high school, in middle school, where you're like, your child understanding that they are centered and their humanity is centered, was important to them, centered, and that they trust that, that they can experience, even if it comes down to, you know, how you respond to your children's grades, right? Even for them to just understand that this metric is not internalized that they don't have to have this metric for you. Like all of those things are in decentering schooling at home. Then you restore those connections. That's so important for parents to have with teenagers, um, middle schoolers and high schoolers that are about to, you know, be exposed to so many things. Mm -hmm. So, um, for them to really experience that, I think is so powerful and so beautiful. And a lot of times we just need permission. <laughs> really, I feel like all I really do um, with parents, not all I do, but a big part of it is just permission. It's like, you know, you don't have to do that. And they're like, what do you mean? What I, I don't have to. I'm like, you, you, you don't have to do it. Right. You don't have to really, really care about this sixth grade science class and that your child gets an A, they'll be fine. 
Right. And parents are like, wait, what do you mean? I don't have to. I'm like, you just don't have to really care. You don't have to. That conversation is so funny because sometimes, Megan, it'd be like 30 minutes of me going back and forth and us and the parents, like their faces shift when they make that, finally made that connection. I'm like, what do you remember about your (laughs) second grade word list? Right. And they're like, oh, I don't remember anything. I'm like, what do you remember about your earth science class in seventh grade? Nothing. I'm like, think, can we replace all of our memories of our youth, all of the time that we had at home with Mm -hmm. our parents? Can we replace those memories, all of them, with deep connection with our parents, with our siblings, with ourselves, with the work that we were doing at home? with our family culture, with our rituals? Can we replace all of those things? How would that change your life? And people's minds are blown. I'm like, that's all that we're doing. We're saying, can we think about the impact that we can have if we just did that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I right, mean, and they're like, and, it, and we don't have to make the decision of whether or not you can homeschool today, but that is a decision. The decision to decenter to center, that is a decision like that we can do today, and that everyone can do. That's something that we can all just do, and that we don't. It's not about funding, and it's not about teachers or trainings, and how do we get parents another form of care like it's not about any of those things that have some a lot to do with policy and it's about what we can do today in this moment in every single household and that is that we can give ourselves permission to center ourselves and our children um yes it's incredibly powerful and for people who are listening that might be new to this idea what do you how could you explain that very simply like what, what might be an example or two of things that parents who are not taking their children out of school can do to decenter school? Yeah, well, um, quick examples would be if your child wants to do uh, something over, like it's, it's a Monday night and they have a certain amount of homework that they want to do that they're supposed to be doing and your children are tired or they want to spend time studying something else or they have a grandparent in town um, and you just walk a child through. You don't have to do your homework, is it? If you don't do it, what's going to happen? Oh, well, the teacher might say this. Um, Are you comfortable with, you know, saying that you didn't do it and you have permission and this is why? And you kind of like, talk through what would happen and what might be the teacher's response and knowing and what do you think we can do about that should we send a note and just really explain it or not explain it prepare the child and if a child wants to not do it because they want to go see grandma or they want to rest or they want to do work on something else to actually just walk the children through that agency and then just do what feels right um, that's, that's as it relates to homework, um, as it relates to grade is when a child gets their grades, good grade, bad grade, whatever, A, C, D, whatever it was, talk, 
talk through that so that a child doesn't doesn't think that one grade makes you happy and proud and the other grade um, is disappointing, but actually that you teach a child how to you self-evaluate, how do you think, you know, how do you feel about this grade? What do you think that you learn? Is this important to you? Um, if you were giving yourself a grade, what would it be? How, you know, or just say, hey, you know, it depends on the parent and the child, but really does it develop a relationship with the metrics and what right. they say, you know, um, when a parent says, well, you know, just explaining those metrics to children, um, creating your own way inside of your home to self-evaluate, those are all ways to decenter schooling. I also share with parents that a lot of the times the metrics and the performance in school sets the temperament for our acceptance of our children for the freedoms that we have where you're like if you do these things then you get to, you know if you do your schoolwork then you get to and then some level of humanity right so how we're interacting with our children is really set by their output in school mm-hmm. how well they do when they do um, a lot of that is set a lot of our conditions the temperament of our home the schedule everything really is set um, and directed by output performance inside of the school work and metrics yeah. and that when you're decentering you're saying no this is the temperament of our home <laughs> these are our values this is how we do our time this is the rhythm that we're going to follow um and those things are going to matter or not in a way that lines up with us. So does that mean that you just go to school whenever you want and leave whenever you want? Or what does that mean practically? Um, well, for me, um, it really also just varies with a parent. But to me, it's if you need to take a school day, uh, a mental health break, that the parents know that they can take a mental health break. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just be aware of like, you know, the law and truancy and all right. of those things. But at the same time, it's like, there's room for that and that you can assert it. The other thing too is for parents who are still going to school, again, just centering, just, I think a lot of it is just having honest conversations why do we have to have this class? It's just one of the classes that the school has. It's just one of those things. But is it important? Ha- ask critical questions with your children. En- engage in conversation. Use the things that don't make sense about school. Um, use them as entry points to have conversations about what doesn't make sense about school. Yeah. Yeah. And so like you get to go to school with a critical eye because you're saying, you know, rather than tell my child that they should do well in this because it's going to make them successful. 
because it's important because it's how we get a job all of the lies <laughs> that we tell children <laughs> on a regular basis because if you don't do it you'll get in trouble mm-hmm. because you won't have friends because we we do all of these things we tell our children all of these lies because we need to coerce them because we want we need them to go like this is what right. we do right. um, what if you're just honest and say mom needs to go to work and the state requires this and this is where you're going until three (laughs) o'clock and there's a structure in place and you can follow along and then we get home and whatever you experience and whatever whatever your feelings are we do an emotional check-in we debrief we think of things critically we comply and uphold and turn in the work as we want to and then we we learn um in the ways that we need to learn and we work in the things that are of interest to you and that you know meet whatever criteria that we have in the house it's just sometimes it's as simple as that but that is very powerful right and that is the beginning of really um you know, it's like an entry point to, to even if you said, hey, and we can do this for a couple of years. And what I really want to do is that I would really love to work on a plan B so that in a couple of years we can leave if we have to. Right. But yeah. in the meantime, let's take care of your needs. Let's, you know, let's talk about what interests you. Let's you know, let's not be judgmental or whatever. Let's have these conversations because I think a lot of times parents are not having these conversations because because they feel like, well, I can't homeschool and therefore I have to uphold school. And those two things are not interchangeable. Right. You know, someone shared with me um, once, they're a grown adult, but they shared with me something that they realized when they were in school um, they were kind of a, kind of a misfit teen as self-described misfit teen, um, and, and really just wanted school to end so bad, but couldn't get out of school. And this was many years ago, like even before I was in high school. Um, and they said that the greatest thing they ever learned was that 70 was passing and all they had to do was show up, make a 70 and they could get to their real life when school ended. <laughs> yeah. And I I thought that's really excellent. Not because this person is a low achiever. This person is actually a really intelligent engineer um, and, and has done really great things with their life. Um, Yeah, absolutely. That 70 means nothing. I mean, that barely passing meant nothing for this human's life. No, I agree. Listen, I, the first time that I shared just the idea of decentering school with my brother he just started sobbing and I was like why why are you sobbing and he was just like because you just said it didn't matter the grades he's like I have been carrying all of this grief and all of this heaviness all of my life and I used to say that to my teachers I used to say 
what does it matter if I read this book and I'm not interested and I just kind of sort of read it and I'm going to pass and I, I'm going to go to the next grade and I don't care and I'm telling you I don't care. Why does it matter? Right. And people would look at me like I was saying something that was so wrong. And I've been carrying all of this shame that I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that I was carrying. And I'm almost 50 years old. And I didn't, I did not realize that I was carrying all of the shame from childhood of me reaching out to adults and asking I'm just not engaged with this work. Why does it matter? And feeling like I was a horrible person for even asking that question. So it absolutely is that. I, I, you know, and it's okay for children who want to do great or, you know, want to get an A or a 90 or whatever it is that they want to get. But that we understand that if children are being forced, if young people are being forced to study and do things that they don't want to do, that are not connected, that have no relevance to their future, that have no relevance to real life, that have no relevance to their success or their intelligence, they measure nothing. The entire thing is arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can just be honest <laughs> and say that, that if nothing else, and we can just be honest and say why we need you to go to school in this moment, right? Just right. I'm trying really hard. I don't have a support system. We live in this society. This is the way that is done. Any of those conversations, right? Then we get to have this conversation with our children from like a place of respect. Right. Our bond, our connection, our understanding, our, our ability to learn to live together, um, all of those things all of a sudden shift because we're not upholding. Part of our humanity is we have to go to work. Part of our humanity can be like, I'm making sacrifices for my family. Part of our huma- centering our humanity is all of these narratives that are true. And now we get to shift and just live right? We get to shift and live and see each other because it's not just the humanity of the child. It's also the humanity of the parents and the humanity of everybody in that, in that household and that society and in our our community. And so telling the truth is how we love, right? It's how we begin to learn to love. And so it's incredibly important. It's incredibly, I think it's it's just as valid to me as unschooling because, because you're, you're living a truth and then you're naming and speaking to that truth rather than upholding a lie. Yeah. And I'm going to dip my toe just a little across the line and, and say, you know, it might even still be unschooling because you are in partnership. You are connected. You're sharing this like reality that you can't escape, that you have to do this thing you have to do, but also that's not the end all be all. And at three o'clock it's you and me. 
you know? Yeah, I actually, I, I, I listen, if you ask me, that's a whole <laughs> lot closer to unschooling than doing directed project-based learning and calling yourself directed <laughs> learning. Absolutely. Because here's the thing. Anytime that you can create partnership um, in life with your children, um, you know, it's no different than no different that if you were working on a farm and there are tasks that you have to do, right? So they're, you know, you're working on the farm. My kids, they have to get up and feed the chickens and they have to get up. And, you know, when we get the delivery of the produce from our co-op, we have to do compost, right? That is part of the deal of our lives. Yeah. Um no different. So if I was not able to homeschool or, you know, because that's what technically by the state you're doing, if I'm not, if I was not able to homeschool and my children had to attend a school and for whatever hours, because that's part of how we're, we're able to live. That's part of our life and our reality. Yeah. I mean, it's no I... different, right? It's no different than the compost and the feeding of the chickens. It's no different. It's a part of what we're doing, but we're doing it in partnership. We're doing it in truth. Right. And I think that's incredible. We're doing it in with a critical eye and we get to say, you know, this curriculum, this is what works. This doesn't work. This absolutely is like, hey, now instead of you, me, um, telling you yeah language arts for 13 years is important <laughs> and it's like now we can like look at this work critically because I'm not tasked with having to uphold the lie but we can yeah. look at it critically and now you as my child can trust me because I'm coming to you in truth and now you know you're not your state respondent of your brain right our brains are state responding you're not unlike fight or flight mode you're not defensive because you still feel connected all of these things are happening because we're in partnership right um, I think I do believe too like I'm right there with you and saying that it is still a little bit unschooling it's just it's learning to live it is and it's it using a lot of shared agreements you know yeah a lot of shared agreements and that's the thing about um about unschooling is there's, there's this line that can be crossed um, in unschooling that dabbles in unparenting and, and people like not wanting to do anything and being so hands-off. It can swing in a lot of different directions. And so I just like to acknowledge all the directions it can swing. And it definitely swings in that direction of parents partnering with their young people who are in school because they have to be in school and just saying, look, we got to just like <laughs> grit our teeth and bear it because this is our life. But um, this is not the single most important thing. And yeah, and you still get to come home and debrief it. You still get to come home and um, share how you feel, share what you've seen, share what you've learned. We still get to advocate for you. Like all of those things are in place. I'm, this is still, you know, I'm creating the safe landing. And, you know, it's just totally different. And I do, you know, I do believe that it will be also an entry point in parent, like once you've decentered it, it's a lot easier to walk away from it. And make That's some shifts sure. to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was going to ask if you see that happening yet. Um, Are you seeing a shift that people are going, okay, I'm ready. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Because the thing about it is a lot of times there's people who haven't even gotten into the, they haven't gotten into the position or they haven't made that leap because they have all of this fear because they have, they're still centering. They're saying, well, I can't homeschool or I can't, uh, unschool because and all of that because comes from center in school but once you have the mindset that allows you to decenter once you've given yourself permission to decenter and you make those connections and now you're in partnership with your children and you realize the flow there's you know there's a connection again sometimes um parents fear homeschooling or unschooling because they're like I don't I don't know what my children they're saying well I don't know what my children would want to do I don't know if they are self-directed they don't they're not in relationship with their children Uh, we have to be honest that some people are not unschooling because they haven't decentered in their minds right they're still very schooled but there's also this other piece of parents that they're just not in relationship with their children and they they you're you're asking them to have faith in something that they don't know right um, and who they don't know is their children and the thing that happens in decentering because it's decentering schooling to center your children and your connection is you know now we're decentering to center there's a second piece to it now you're asking the parent to have faith in this child that they have developed a very like a strong connection with now you're asking your child to have faith in somebody that they're in relationship with that's very different than saying oh just trust that unschooling works yes it's rooted in relationship it actually I don't think can happen without relationship yeah so now the leap is totally there because you have just increased the confidence. You have increased the confidence because you have established connection. So asking people to say, hey, leave this system, which is the only thing that you know, and we are wired as humans to stick with what we know. Um, now you're saying leave this thing, which is the only thing you know, for this other thing that you don't know with this person who is assigned to you because it's your child, but you do not have a connection and a relationship with that feels very scary. And it's really goes against your wiring. Then it's really not unschooling and it's really not schooling. Yeah. We're saying you have a deep connection and you have a deep sense of belief and you have created defined home culture and you have centered your humanity and this other person's humanity. And now I'm telling you to trust that. Yeah. That's a different conversation than trust John Holt or Akila <laughs> or Nikolai yeah. or trust the system. I'm yeah. saying, we're saying, no, you have developed connection you have centered yourself, you have centered your child, do that. Yeah. And that, like, I think once you're in that, like, ooey gooey relationship part, it's really hard to turn away from that. It's really hard to, like, honestly, it's, like, hard to defy that heart bond. You can't unsee it. I mean, truly, you cannot unsee it. 
yeah beautiful when you connect like that yeah and when you also and when you disconnect when you disconnect to the metrics once once you disconnect from the idea that like anything outside of that connection can be it's of any cultural social significance and like it's a predictor of success like once you disconnect from that um because that connection is so strong really there's no going back yeah so when you talk to these parents um are they mostly local or they started local and now you're expanding out your work has really been expanding lately yeah Um. (laughs) so yeah it's been um Gosh, yeah, it's really taken a whole different, like, it's, yeah, it's national. We had, I have one parent um, from uh, New Zealand <laughs> who was, like, decentering with me. So, nice. um, yeah, so, yeah, the work has just really, you know, um, has taken on a different form And I think it's just because it resonates with so many people who are, you know, it's the pain point is so strong and I've just been able to name it. And again, like I, I give Nicholas the credit, only a child, right. Or (laughs) only a young person will see things through that kind of, you know, purity lens. It's it's so, it's so beautiful. He's like, uh, what about everybody else? I was like, oh, yeah, what about everybody else? Emotional <laughs> um, genius, gosh. Um, he's like, everybody's <laughs> in school, mom. What are you doing? You're talking to the wrong people. <laughs> and um, it's just really, really beautiful. I, I I just always bring it back to him. It was so clear to him, and he just was brought it to me. And it really, the work has really expanded. Um, we're doing, you know, we're doing small group co-ops. I mean, small small group cohorts and courses and you know it's just been really beautiful and it's and it's a lot of crying (laughs) (laughs) and so it involves we actually did a self-directed kind of like self-paced course um I did a beta and what happened was so funny because all of the people were like oh well no I need to talk to somebody about these things that I'm feeling. And so I'm now, cause now I have to like recover from the course. <laughs> and so we're making sure that they, um, I'm making sure that I create a space for discussion because mm-hmm. it hits, it does hit a lot of pain points, but it's really beautiful because after we talk about it, it's like, Oh, okay, we got it. I'm like, you totally have it. You get to just decenter and center yourselves and how, like, what a beautiful possibility. And, and it feels really good. And I feel like for a lot of parents, it just feels like this burden just lifted because they felt so guilty that they couldn't leave the system. And now what we're saying is, well, let's do something else with that. Yeah. Oh gosh, I bet it's so beautiful to be a part of up close. Oh my God. Yeah. I'll say I posted today because I had a parent who came to me in complete tears. And she's like, I I have neurodivergent and I have social anxiety and I'm having a hard time because I'm nursing and um, 
I've been getting to school a little bit late and then the school um, told her, you know, reprimanded her for being tardy so many times in front of her daughter. And now her daughter has anxiety every morning. And then she's, her husband was fussing at her because he's concerned about the daughter having anxiety. And yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Let's get everybody on a call. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing? All of this over tardiness of elementary school children. This is what we're not going to do. We're not going to center schooling over humanity. And there's nothing happening in homeroom in second grade that's that important. Let's just take it a step for, step back. You're a person. You're neurodiverse. Your anxiety right now is like you're, is you're, struggling with it right you're grappling with it you're nursing your body has hormones everybody in your house can take a step back and like sense the fact that you're nursing to the fact that you're postpartum and you're like handling handling a lot and we're going to go to the school and we're going to address them and we're going to say hey nothing that important is happening in second grade homeroom and everybody just needs to chill out and once the dad heard it he was like oh well that makes a lot of sense and the second grader is like oh well that makes a lot of sense and the mom is just like sobbing like thank you that's sometimes that's all that it takes right it's us giving ourselves that permission to say this is a system trying to center itself but you don't have to uphold it. Yeah. And you get to say in there, like if we really care about children's education, we have to learn, teach them to learn to live with people, not just children that are neurodiverse, but neurodiverse children grow up to be neurodiverse adults. Mm. And we yeah. people know that, <laughs> but that's kind of how it works. Yeah. And we have to live in this biospace together. <laughs> And we get to like make concessions and we get to like compromise. And this is all part of living. And this is how we make things work. Right. And that is also a part of what children should be learning as a part of their education. And if we don't do that, then we miss the whole point. Like what could be happening in second grade homeroom more important than all of us all the adults and the children, all of us learning that humanity has to be centered. And I just inserted that and just allowed everybody to take a deep breath. And that's it. I mean, if you can think of what decentering schooling and centering humanity, it could be as simple as that because it's not always just about, okay, does a child do homework or not? It's about, can we all understand that we're moving as a collective and as individuals and that we all get to assert our experience and that all of it is valid and how do we compromise and make this thing work? Um, And that's, we get to do that every day. And I think that's just beautiful. (laughs) I think it's beautiful. Um, You're like, I feel like you're giving me a sermon. (laughs) That's what it feels like. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I mean, I think that's pretty much unschooling. I mean, I don't know what the purpose <laughs> of unschooling is, which is like to center our humanity and learn. Yeah. I think that definitely falls into unschooling and that, you know, what are we doing here? 
right? But learning yeah. to learn and learning to exist and learning to co, you know, co-create and just to assert, right? To be and, together in partnership, yeah, to assert together. in multiple types of partnerships. You know, it's not just, um, you know, it's not just our child either. Every every person has needs that are likely going unmet, yeah. um, and overlooked. So it benefits everyone for us to shift into centering humanity. Absolutely. It does. And, you know, if we think about, uh, we don't call it productivity in our house. We call it uh, contribution. And so if we think about our individual and collective contribution, if it's not sourced in centering humanity, then we're going to end up with more of the same. And if what we're yeah. trying to do is, liberation work and create other things then we have to shift our entire perspective yeah. and I, you know I think this is a great entry point definitely okay I have a couple of questions that I asked the community um, on do you want to take a few questions sure okay the first question is how can we help less supportive spouses learn about de-schooling and de-centering school which I think is pretty common in the unschooling world. Um, there might be one, you know, one partner in a two-parent household who is just not on board. You know, they're like, mm, I don't know, that feels sketchy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I have one client that I'll share because it's like my favorite, probably <laughs> like this. I've been working with them for three years and mom has been like, you know, it's like, all the way she's like abolish everything right and <laughs> dad is like a banker <laughs> and he's just like what it doesn't work um and just a very school person and their children are in private school and you know just he was just coming from a different lens and the one thing that I would always do whenever I would work with them is that I would see his humanity and I would name it. So I would say, you know what? I hear your answer. And what I'm hearing is that you have worked really hard to be able to provide your children with this private education. And that it's also like how you're defining your love. What I see whenever she would get so mad and, I'm so, and I would always say, you know what I see is a dad that really cares. What I see is a dad that's really concerned about his children being able to achieve things, you know, with your lens of success. Like I would always connect with that parent and with their experience and their experience with educational trauma and their experience with metrics, right? What I see is that you have been made to define yourself um, through, through these metrics. And so how I have helped them was really to not um, negate him of his humanity and of his lens, but really name it and help him see that why is, you know, why he has centered schooling and why it's so important to him and how deeply um, connected he is with his identity and where that comes from. And really like, you have to, instead of resist, like almost surrender to that and see um, the person that's in front of you. We, we say like, we want to see the child in front of us. 
And in the same way, we have to see that spouse (laughs) that's in front of us. Like we have to see. Um, And so three years later, fast forward, um, he's like ready to pull his kids out of school. (laughs) Not all of them. Right. But the one where the one child does not want to be in school. And that's a conversation that three years ago, we would have never been able to have. But because all along the way he has felt seen all along the way we have, um, you know, asked he has resisted. I have asked more questions. Right. So, you know, let's think about that. What, where do you think that that's coming from? Um, you know, it, it's the same thing. I feel like what everything is like, we have to center each other's humanity. We have to understand that where we're coming from. When somebody is like, my child needs to this, they're speaking and projecting of the metrics that they have internalized, right? When, they, when they're saying this very limited construct is the only way, they're holding themselves to that bondage yeah um and so you have to speak to that and see that and understand it and you know I think that I always feel like the way out is connection (laughs) so I'm always like whatever the problem is you just need more connection you need more connection you need to see the person in front of you yeah I think that might be the answer um, for, for lots of other predicaments in the world at the moment <laughs> Yeah, is more absolutely. connection. And I just absolutely love this answer to this question because it, it highlights um, something that I have been embracing and, and learning about in my own life for quite a while now, the concept of multiplicity. There are a multiplicity of truths out there. There aren't just mine or yours or you know, the unschooling truth. Um, And I love that you talk about not negating someone's experience, not just telling them that they're wrong and everything that they learned was bad and wrong and it, and it, and it did bad for you because not everybody feels that way. I mean, that dad clearly is like, but I, I worked really hard and I have, I've, I've got this material, um, you know, currency that I can use now in the world because I worked really hard for it. Yeah, we just had a we just had a wonderful tipping point, which I feel like it's what kind of led him to say, let's do it. Let's pull the plug um, for this one child is that he was like, you know, I just don't know that much about school choice because, you know, I grew up in this town and um, you just went to the school that you were assigned to and you didn't get, you know, you just went and you dealt with it because this one child, you know, she's resistant. And he's like, you know, like she just has to deal with it, right? This is just a school. This is a good school. It's the best school. And, you know, and I said, you know, how interesting that when you were young, you didn't have a choice and you just had to do, right? He's like, yeah, it's just, you know, all this choice is like, you know, is is that really necessary? And I was like, and now you have worked really, really hard. And I would challenge to say that you didn't work really, really hard so you could afford the private school, but maybe you worked really, really hard so that you can have a choice. Yeah. And now, because what I'm hearing is that you're saying you don't have a choice because other schools might be the same or you, you know, and you don't know what you'll run into. And 
I want us to talk about that because maybe that was the point. The point was not how can I afford the best quote unquote school, but how can I buy some choices for my child? Because when I was young, I had none. And he was like, oh yeah, wait a minute. You know, like maybe, yeah. you know, and just kind of that's just putting some thing. language around it. <laughs> yeah, let's, but you know what? It's because I'm not really trying to prove a point. Ultimately, what I want is for them, for everybody in that unit to feel supported and to be centered um, as their coach. And I want for the people in that unit, which I now three years into it really care about for all of us to be regulated and be making decisions while we're regulated and we feel seen and connected. That's really what I care about is not whether or not they're going to unschool or school because I think unschooling is the best thing ever. Like, you know, that's inconsequential is like whether or not this unit feels whole and the people in it feel listened to. Yeah. The other thing is that I often with parents, not just those, but I'll tell a parent who, who feels like, Oh my gosh, like my part, my partner is not um, in line. I remind them that everybody in, in life is not going to be in line and that a child won't necessarily be at a disadvantage because they're getting a different perspective. Yes. Right. Because that <laughs> yes. is learning to live. Right. Yes. Actually living with somebody who doesn't totally agree. Yes. Has his own benefit. I want to jump up and down right now. Right. <laughs> such so a you kind of, you kind of get a little bit of both. And if you, if what we could do is center that humanity and what we can do is create some rituals to have some conversations, to get some perspective, what we can model is agreeing to disagree and learning to live. And I think that that's really cute, cool and adds value to your child's experience. And I think that that also makes, it makes both parents feel more at ease. both partners feel more at ease and then they're more regulated because they're both seeing each other and they both see how they their their experience could add value to their child because nobody wants to feel like they're being told that their experience does not add value to that child right yeah um so you know just just some breaths yeah rest and some centering humanity is and more connection usually does the trick yeah. And I would say if for me, what I would add to that is um, maybe don't do the pretending of like, like checking boxes and like sort of, um, I know maybe pe- people don't necessarily want to like outright lie to their partners, but that deceptive sort of like, yeah, yeah, we've been doing math. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing like, just be honest, be, be truthful with each other. Because when you're deceptive, I feel like you're kind of keeping them closer, like further away from understanding by not illuminating what's actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. um, Another question is, how can we support people who have preschoolers who are thinking about school but are curious about other possibilities? For preschool, um, I think that I always lead with use this time to well, two things. One, to understand that um, 
the the best way it doesn't matter how what school you're going to go to or what route you're going to go for your academics learning your child and spending time with your child and in you know improving the connection is ultimately what's going to let you make a better choice right let you help support your child's and so using this time to really lean lean into a connection instead of school prep in one way or the other but really learning your child and learning more about how children learn because we forget that as parents and this is something that I don't know if everybody knows but some people just end up having a preschooler because they liked somebody else and they made a baby. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> I don't know. We know this, but it's like, no, like that's how my children were made. So um, I think taking the time to learn how children learn and to learn our children, the people in front of us will solve most of the confusion that's out there. Yeah. Observe if them. you just learn how children <laughs> learn and you learn your child and you're in relationship with your child, then you won't really need other people to tell you what you think is the best option. Yeah. Yeah. I think that can sometimes bring up a little bit of um, guilt in parents who didn't get to start building a connection much sooner or parents who have older children. I think it's really important to encourage everyone that it is never too late to start building a connection. No, absolutely. I mean, mean, of course, it's incredible to start at infancy and skin to skin and and so on. But that's not everybody's origin story either. So no, absolutely. And like, listen, uh, our brains are plastic. And we're still learning my grandmother passed in 2020. And when she when she was 90. I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. When she was um, like 88, 88 to 89, she gave me some pants for um, a present. And this is from a woman who my entire life raised us very Pentecostal. And she was very like, she didn't play with pants and earrings and TV or anything like that. Like no, no playing, no playing (laughs) at all. (laughs) And so she gave me these pants and I was like, grandma, what is going on? Because this is really like, really weird. And she was like, you know what, baby, so long as you are willing, spirit will correct. And she said, this was the year of one of my, the years of my greatest growth. And I was like, she's like about to turn 90. Yeah. (laughs) And so that was just so awesome because in that moment, I felt so much more connected than I had been with my grandma in quite a number of years because I just felt like you know now I had children and now I was busy and I just did not have time to uphold more judgment even though my grandmother helped basically raise me and so she's like my maternal figure but you know I just got older and I was like you know what I cannot deal with all of this you know guilt and all of these things that get in the way of our connection and in that moment, I felt closer and more connected to my grandma and her vulnerability um, 
than I had in years. And so when parents tell me, hey, my child is 17, is it too late? I was like, what? I was connected with my grandma when she was 89. (laughs) (laughs) After years of this connection, right? And the reason why is because she said, so long as we are willing, the spirit will connect. And so she had to connect and correct. Yeah. And then she had to share that with me or she didn't, but she chose to share it with me. And then we connected. So 17, 18, 14, whatever the case may be, you know, 39. Um, the way in is correction, reflection and connection. Um, that's it. That's it. Simple equation. <laughs> right? There it is, and folks. So, that's it. That's, were- all, that's the interview. <laughs> That's it. We can go. We can stop. But, in, but if, if people are wondering about preschool and like how can they prepare, I feel like just, you know, if you learn how children learn, which is something that a lot of people don't have, right? Because it's not something that we have centered or taught each other to do, right? Mm-hmm. We have left this up to the experts, which has been school. Like a lot of us are school. So if we just learn how children learn, and then we learn to be in relationship with the people in front of us, we won't need that much direction. Right. Yeah. It'll all just kind of fall into place. Yeah. Okay, Nikolai, now that you have just knocked my damn socks off, <laughs> <laughs> tell us what we can do to support you, to support your work, um, and how we can find you and connect with you. So my, um, my Instagram is at Raising Readers. Um, and I have a second Instagram, which is at Laboratorium, and you can always find um, Laboratorium through Raising Readers. And I would just say plug in to that work. Um, I have regular webinars that explain the decentering schooling to central connection um, framework and the backstory. I have those regularly at least twice a month. They're always donation-based. The replay is always available for sale. The money from the replay goes to fund Laboratorium. And Laboratorium is that backyard project that I mentioned where we've turned our backyard into a farming for schooling community where the children in my neighborhood get to come and yes they're learning about growing food but really they're not really learning like a curriculum they're just coming and playing and resting and engaging with the work um, and that's all that we do so people can um, find me in those two ways and I will link all of that in the in the show notes too yeah but more than anything it's just you know the question or kind of what I would want people to do is just to always be in reflection of how we can, especially people in kind of in our demographic, Megan, um, how we can bring others into the fold and for us to understand how important that is, because we want to make sure that we are seeing and we are supporting um, parents that we know 90% of the country still goes to conventional schooling in some yeah. way, one way or the other, so that we are bringing people into the fold and what that we are seeing ourselves as agents 
um, when we can do that. And I think the more that we do that and the more that we approach our work and our privilege with empathy and that we can center their humanity and their choices, um, the better and and the more in service that we will do, you know, be to our own community. And so that's also how people can support my work really by seeing themselves as agents of change in that manner. I love that. And also everyone should run, not walk, to drop, even if you just have a dollar, in the piggy bank for Libertorium because we've got manure and all kinds <laughs> of things coming and it needs it needs some support. So if you've got it an extra dollar or two, support. please drop it's it. Lot. It's a labor of love, but it's big work. Because they're always like, can we do this? And I'm like, oh, great. I encourage everyone to follow and see what's going on it's beautiful to watch I love seeing your posts every day I love watching your stories I just I live for it it's great thank you I appreciate you so much for taking this time out to chat with me tonight I know it took us a while to get started but I'm just so glad that we got it we got it going and it's a great conversation I cannot wait to share it thank you so much and you have a good night you too Bye. bye bye Tell me you don't feel recharged and empowered and ready to prioritize relationship. Did you feel any connection to the way that Nikolai described her son's experience in school? Are you not able to leave school? Did school become so harmful that it pushed you to just abandon it and you're kind of floating around? I'd love to hear from you. All feedback is welcome. I love when I hear your stories about how you are living lives without school. If you'd like to reach out to Nikolai, I will put all of her information in the show notes along with mine. If you would like to put funds towards the work of Nikolai, a true labor of love, please take a moment to head over to her link tree. Um, You can drop dollars into the fundraiser for Libertorium, her backyard food forest school that she was talking about. It is getting black and brown kids out in nature, connected to growing food and being in community with one another, even when they're not able to leave the classroom. Also, shout out to Nicholas for breathing life into the entire project for his friends. Okay, couple of announcements and housekeeping. Uh, The zine is underway. Issue two is dropping in mid-May. If you haven't had a chance to get a copy of it, that is okay. While it is a limited print project, I am able to share digital print at home options for you. So you still have time to become a subscriber to get a physical copy of issue two and beyond, but I can also just um, email you your digital version for issue one. That way you have the entire collection from one until whenever we stop. Um, I am managing the subscription for now over on Patreon and I could absolutely use your support. There's a couple of tiers of support for those who want to help beyond receiving the zine and I will also share my Venmo and PayPal links in the show notes. This is a huge undertaking and I have recently brought on a couple of people um, who I would love to not only be able to help fund the supplies and the cost of mailing things across oceans, but I would also love to pay these humans for their work. So this is not a profitable endeavor, it is just a community building project. My website's under construction. I'm currently building towards a dream space that can house all the projects that I'm working on and be a hub for our community to find each other, not just as online friends, but in real life. Regional meetups, pop-up meet and greets, I don't know, let's make some magic together, y'all. Last thing, 
if you haven't been able to connect with others online and you're looking for support or a place to ask questions that's beyond the scrolling of Instagram, etc., and you want to share unschooling ahas or just chat even about non-unschooling stuff with people who are also living life without school, come over to Discord. Links in the show notes. It is a portal to a rad community. So thank you so much for listening, for supporting the podcast and all the other projects around the Unschool Files community. And until next time, stay kind to each other. Thank you.